On the internet, there are a number of websites that insist that Barack Obama is the Antichrist. And uh, the proof they use, and I'm going to answer it right now. Get rid of it, because I've been asked. Luke 10, 18 says, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Uh, the word Barak means lightning. <laughs> so that's the first verse they use. There's just one problem. It isn't Barak in the Greek. That's a Hebrew word, Barak. So you understand? Uh, the minister of defense is Ehud Barak in Israel. So uh, that, that's really stupid. <laughs> then uh, Ezekiel 20, 29, God is talking about the uh, idolatry. And it says, Then I said unto them, What is the high place whereunto you go? And the name thereof is called Bama unto this day. Uh, that's not referring to our president. That is referring to a high place where idolatry was put. But that's what they did. They take a passage in the Greek New Testament and make out like it's Hebrew. And uh, they say, he's Satan falling like lightning, and he's the high place of idolatry, and that's how they do it. So I suggest that you just keep flipping your internet past that <laughs> website and recognize that is absolutely stupid beyond belief. Amen? Okay, I answered you. I told you I'd do it publicly. So, And the following three people believe that. No, I'm not going to tell you. I was tempted. Don't listen to that stuff. We need to study the Bible. Amen? Now take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There hardly is a subject more important than the Antichrist, but he is not the coming world leader that I'm interested in. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. But uh, the Bible does teach several things about him. I'm going to give you the six names, identifications of the Antichrist and tell you what the Bible says about each one of them. You're going to find this very interesting. Uh, Tim LaHaye started the Pre-Trib Research Center Conference, a great conference. And when you speak, you do it by manuscript, and your manuscript is presented ahead of time, and then they run it on a giant screen in the back so you know when the speaker's off the subject. Then at the end of it, as he rightly said, they give 45 minutes for the audience to question what you say. And I've spoken there many times, and I'll be speaking this year too. But anyway, um, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, Tim, but one year there was a guy speaking who was really boring. It was terrible. I'm not going to tell you who. And everybody was falling asleep, and I believe you were also asleep. So I think this started with Dave Hunt, but I'm not sure. Somebody in the back, there's about 500 guys with laptops and all that, you know, and in the back, everybody was just sleepy, and this guy was so terribly boring. And so somebody 
made a sheet out about a, a, a survey to decide who is the Antichrist and who is the false prophet. And they passed it around. Do you remember that? But anyway, they, well, that's because you were asleep. But, <laughs> but anyway, we passed it down the aisles and everybody voted. So at the end, uh, Thomas Ice got up and uh, he announced the winners. And uh, the winner for Antichrist was Bill Clinton. The winner for false prophet was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> oh, what, what nonsense. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It appears from this passage, which uh, does introduce us to a name of the coming Antichrist, it appears that he will not be revealed until after the rapture. So all guesses right now are just a waste of time. It'll probably be somebody we have no idea that he would be one. Second Thessalonians 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that's probably rapture talk there, especially since in the first epistle of Thessalonians, he dealt with the rapture in chapter 4 and 5. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Some believe that refers to the rapture, and I'll tell you why. Because apostasia does refer to a departure. Uh, after the temptation of our Lord, it says uh, the angels ministered to him and then departed. And it's the same word, apostasio, a very common word in Greek language. Um, but uh, that's where we get our word, apostasy, by the way, from just saying it into English rather than translating it. I don't think that's uh, likely, especially since verse 1 seems to already refer to that. I think we're talking here about what he dealt with in other passages in which he said there was an apostasia from the faith, which of course in that case would be a departure from the teaching of the Word of God. Okay, there'll come a falling away first, and of course we're going through that, aren't we not? Big time. Then it says, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, because that is used of Judas, some believe that Judas is the Antichrist. I do not. Uh, I wouldn't give him that much favor. Uh, Judas betrayed our Lord, as we know. Uh, by the way, uh, I personally do not believe he was Jewish. And I believe that throughout history, we have used Judas to condemn the Jews and attack them falsely. You say, what do you mean you don't believe he's Jewish? Well, uh, what's what you think is his last name? Judas? Ah, Iscariot. Actually, it's a compound, Ish Karuth, which is the city he's from. Ish means a certain man. It's a generalized term. When God created male and female, Ish and Isha the feminine form of each. If you're talking about a Jewish man, you would have to say uh, Yehuda, Judas, 
Ben-Karoth, the son of that city. Uh, when he said Ish, that is used of either Gentiles or half-breeds. So isn't it interesting that the devil has done a number on the Jewish people by taking Judas. In fact, that was written all over the walls, as you know, at the time of Hitler and the Holocaust. So it's a very sensitive point. I just suggest to you that Judas, the one who betrayed our Lord, was not Jewish. For the same reason, I think we ought to be clear in one thing. The Jews did not crucify Jesus. When you read the Jews in the Gospel of John, you can easily prove this if we had the time, which we don't, but you could prove that it refers to the religious leaders. They are the ones who manipulated the Romans to carry it out. They could not, Jewish people could not execute anyone when Rome was in power. Besides, they don't crucify, they do what? Stone people to death. Now, uh, that's another problem. We've been accusing the Jews of crucifying Jesus. That's what caused the Holocaust. Hitler said that God had chosen him to correct this problem, this bad problem, of the Jews who crucified our Lord, and we're going to take care of this once and for all. Well, they did not crucify our Lord, and in fact, if you say that, then you just call Jesus a liar, because he did not say he'd be crucified by the Jews. He said he'd be crucified by the Gentiles. Rome did it. And Romans were Italians. I say, kill the Italians! <laughs> well, wait a minute. We do like their pizza. We had it for lunch. So maybe we ought to keep them around a little longer. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 4. About this son of perdition, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that's called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Now remember, Thessalonica was new believers. The idea that new believers can't handle prophecy is an absolute lie, as Dr. LaHaye's already taught us. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, or holds back, will let until he be taken out of the way. Probably the Holy Spirit is a restrainer, but the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Uh, that would indicate the rapture. If, if you don't do that, then you've got a problem because the Holy Spirit is God. And he certainly will be active in the tribulation period because a multitude of Gentiles will be born again. So to say he's no longer working is a mistake. What it means is he's no longer in the church restraining evil. Boy, what's it going to be like when the church is gone? Unbelievable hell on earth. Verse 8, And then shall that wicked, literally wicked one, be revealed. That's what we read back at verse 3. The man of sin be revealed. And the title is, The Son of Perdition or Destruction. Verse 8, Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, if you want to know where he gets all of his talent, here it is, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because, watch this carefully, 
they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them. Who is the them? Those who receive not the love of the truth that they would be saved. God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The Greek text has the lie, referring to the lie of the Antichrist. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, this is a problem because if a person has rebelled against the truth of the gospel that's presented to them now, uh, there does not appear to be a second chance. Uh, but there are plenty of people in this world uh, to be saved in the tribulation who have never rebelled because they have never heard the gospel of Christ. The greatest misunderstanding in missiology, meaning study of missions, the greatest misunderstanding of Americans especially is that somehow everybody has heard the gospel that we have heard over and over again. That is not true. Missiologists now tell us that 65% of the population of the world has never heard of Jesus. There are 16,000 people groups that have never had one verse in their own language, much less have their language submitted to printing or writing or reading. Wycliffe Bible Translators continues to keep us updated on the languages of the world that have yet to have the Bible in their language. And uh, for years we all quoted 5,000, and then I thought, well, now with all the work they've done, it's probably down to 2,000 or something. And I was reminded by Wycliffe that, no, that's not true. They keep finding more languages of isolated people groups around the world. They are still estimating that between four and 5,000 languages on the planet have yet to receive one verse in their own language. So if you think the job of missions is done, guess again. This is the biggest gap ever uh, since they started recording this. So the world is not getting more Christian. The world is getting less Christian, if you mean the amount of people that have never heard versus those that have. And even among those that have, we have the great apostasy. So we have deception everywhere. It, it is startling. I want to give you one example of this so that you understand what I'm saying to you about why so many people will be deceived by the Antichrist. Part of our purpose here is to give you sound doctrine regarding prophecy and the coming of the Lord. The truth is that many churches never even bring it up. Pastor of one of the largest churches in America says pastors should never teach on prophecy because it's so divisive. Uh, the fact is, we're hearing a lot of hum human-type thinking. I think of uh, Joel Osteen. I like the guy. You know why? Because he's pretty honest on programs like Larry King. You say, what do you mean? Well, I got it. I taped it. I love to watch it every now and then. Uh, he said, uh, when Larry King asked him about, do you think the Muslims are saved? Well, I don't know. I don't think... Uh, I think God will, uh, well, actually, I don't know. You know, I was in the video room when my dad died. That's how I became pastor. Now, I like that. I don't want to go to his church, but I like that. And the guy keeps talking in positive terms, wrote a best-selling book. I read it in about five minutes. And it was uh, an interesting group of nothing. I 
retitled it as birdbath because it was so shallow. The point is, you know, I don't care if you like him or not. The point is he doesn't teach a blooming thing. Now, I like him as opposed to a lot of the other deceivers in the world because he's honest. The kid is honest. You know, I think he's redeemable. You know what I mean? Bless his, his little heart. And, and he's telling the truth. Never went to Bible school, nothing. I was in the video room when my dad died, and they made me be pastor. And now he has the largest church in America. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is. But then there are other guys, like Rick Warren, who should know better, who's preaching against prophecy. And uh, Rick's uh, peace plan. Oh, my. You know, I know Rick well. And the peace plan is so dumb. I've called them and confronted on it, and they've hung up on me. Here's the peace plan. Originally, each letter stands for something. And the P originally standed for preaching the gospel and planting churches. You know what it is now? Promoting reconciliation among the religions of the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rick's a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, which means he isn't really preaching what God says in his word because they would not have him. I'm hoping that he's going to get back to his roots because he was once a good teacher and preacher of the Word of God. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, very good church. First Baptist Church, Lakewood, California. 2,000 people. Friend of both uh, Tim and I, Dr. Jim Bohr, for many years. And uh, First Baptist Lakewood decided to go to the emerging church. It's unbelievable what's happened. They don't have 2,000 anymore. They have 200. They took out the pulpit. They took out all the chairs. They put a little group of folding chairs in a circle for 200 people, and they wait for God to speak to them, kind of a Quaker-type deal. Then they have stations of the cross around the auditorium where you can sit, fold your legs, and do contemplative prayer. <laughs> now, if your church is interested in that, God help you. I'm telling you, people are losing their brain today. Their religious brain. They're checking their brains off at the door. What's going on here? The American church does not know the Word of God. Flat out. I run into it all the time on the radio. It's unbelievable. Oh, I've been a member now for 30 years. Well, it means nothing because you don't know what you're talking about. Somewhere along the line, pastors stop teaching through the books of the Bible. I don't go to church to hear a fuzzy little message about how wonderful is my self-esteem. I believe that word is a bad word. First four letters tell you that. God told you that no man ever hated his flesh. You say, well, if you don't love other people, you know, to love other people, you've got to love yourself. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What? As thyself. Where's your English brain? Not counting the fact that it's grammatically uh, very obvious in Greek. It's a simile. It means you already do your love yourself. You're the problem. What did Jesus tell us to do with ourself? Anybody? Deny yourself and take up your cross daily. That's a one-way trip to death. What's the matter with us? Why am I... By the way, I'm not mad. I'm having a very good time. <laughs> a lot of people think I am. No, I'm not. Not at all. The fact is... What does the Bible tell us is going to happen? Why are these people going to follow this false leader? Because they don't know the Bible. That's why. 
The prophet Amos said there'll be a famine for the word of God. People are going everywhere to find someone to teach them the Bible. By the way, we also learn in the Hebrew prophets that in the end time before Messiah returns, they're going to grab the skirt of one Jew to have them teach them the word of God. Well, isn't that interesting? You see, my time has come, (laughs) even though I'm an old dude. But if they're not teaching the Word of God, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. This is a dangerous time. When the pastor of the largest TV program in the world can get rid of his son because he's preaching the gospel, and his grandson, who preached the gospel, you know something's wrong. His grandson was a hippie-type kid who had tattoos and earrings and all that, and the grandfather got the idea when he got saved why not have the grandkid preach one Sunday on the Hour of Power? Whoops, I just indicated who it was. I happened to see it. I was so thrilled I couldn't tell you. The kid got up there and he said he wants to preach on, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. When he finished that message, over half the church walked down the aisle to get saved. And his grandfather fired his dad and him. I just want you to know that there's a lot of trouble going on in churches all across America with thousands of people following these folks. So our first one is, put it up there, he's the son of perdition. What do we learn in this passage? Real quick, four things. If you want to write them down, fine, or just get the tape and hear it later. Here they are. Number one, his pride. If there's one thing that is consistent in all the passages about the Antichrist. It's pride. It's arrogance. Uh, He exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Number two is his presence in the coming Jewish temple. It's going to be his work in the peace process to give the Jews what they want. What do the Jews want? They've been willing to give up their land to have peace with their enemies. What do they want? I've read Oslo 1, Oslo 2, Why Agreements 1 and 2. I've read Camp David Summit 1 and 2, and I'm not a fool on this. I know what they want. They want a temple on the Temple Mount. And the Muslims are saying exactly the opposite. No, that's ours. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Abraham offered Ishmael, not Isaac, they said. You know, I just told an Islamic mufti uh, who thinks he's very smart. I just told him, I said, I'll give you a thousand dollars. I'd like to give you a million, but I don't have it. But I'll give you a thousand dollars if you can show me one text to prove your argument that the Jews changed Genesis 22 and put in Ishmael instead of Isaac. Of course, he hasn't been able to prove it because there is no proof. So you see, um, we're we're being told all these lies, and uh, we're getting ready for this. There is going to be a temple, and that has been the discussion every time. It's a carrot they put in front of the Jews to make them give up land. And then they tell them they can't do it because the Temple Mount belongs to the Muslims. I mean, it's just a merry-go-round of foolishness. But they are going to build a temple, Revelation 11, 1 and 2 says. And what's going to happen after he makes this agreement 
And I'll point this out in just a moment as to where it's found. If you want to know now, it's Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And what is he going to do? It says, he as God, this is in our text, he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to desecrate the place. Uh, That's exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes did that brought the Maccabean revolt and gave us Hanukkah. Number three, his power. We already are told in this passage, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This man's going to have capability to move audiences, and people will think he's absolutely wonderful. Now, that's why a lot of folks vote for Obama. I know that. I do believe Obama's one of the best speakers we've ever had, and uh, I always bring my pen out as we watch him on TV to find out what he said. He actually doesn't ever say anything, but he does it so well, you think he has. No, I'm not kidding you. You, you do it sometime. Put out your pencil and write down, uh, now what did he actually say? He doesn't say anything. He just says it very good. Amen? So when you're done, you think, wow, what a speech. Well, what did he say? I, I, I don't know exactly, but had something to do with something. Amen? Okay, besides Oprah's in love with him, and, he, and she wouldn't. Or would she? Okay. Let me just tell you, yeah, I told you you're not going to like this message. Number, number four, his punishment. Oh, did I tell you? He's headed for hell. The Lord will consume him with the spirit of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. God's going to cast him and the false prophet into hell where they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. No laughing matter. Wow. Now turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7 and let's go to number 2. The second title is he's the little horn. Now, little doesn't mean he doesn't have power, because we know Satan is empowering him. Little means he's insignificant when he comes to power. He's going to rise to power in almost uh, in, in a shocking way that is not expected by world leadership. Uh, he'll be a little horn. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, we read how this is going to happen. After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This, of course, is mentioned, isn't it, in Revelation. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Horns represent nations or kings or leaders, before whom there were three of the first horns, three of the ten, plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now go over to chapter, um, well, stay in the same chapter and go to chapter 7, verse 24. And the ten horns Out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, 
and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of time. That would be three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom unto the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him, referring to the Messiah. All right, now uh, let's just see what we can learn. First, there's a confederacy through which he rises to power. Now, you, if you've been around the church of prophecy much, know that we heard for years that this was the European Union. What's the problem with that? Well, first of all, last Thursday is when we got the final vote of the nations that will be a part of the European Union. Did you know that? Czechoslovakia was holding out, and they finally agreed. Now they have the signature of everybody. And by the way, they want to have it in force by December 1st. That's moving fast. And so they're going to be voting on whether Tony Blair or someone else will become the president of the European Union. Now, the problem is there's only uh, 10 nations mentioned here, but there's 27 now in the European Union. Uh, some of you have probably heard that the European Union, you can go on the website, by the way, and get all this stuff, but uh, some of you have heard that the European Union realizes that they can't really function well well with 27. You know, put 27 people on a board meeting and you got chaos. You've got to have fewer people. So they have actually been talking about reducing it down to what they call the Big Ten. I still do not quite feel comfortable with this. I don't think it's just the European Union, personally. Why is that? Because both in the Hebrew prophets as well as in Revelation, we have all nations of the world involved. We're going to have a confederacy that's going to engulf the whole world, a global government. Now, don't look at me like I'm talking strange stuff, because the fact of the matter is in three weeks, we're having the Copenhagen Conference on Change Climate. It started in Kyoto, Japan last summer, and they realized they can't get together without a global government calling the shots. So they started with 15 industrial nations to come. I don't know if you know what's happened here just this week. But they put on an invitation now to all 191 nations of the United Nations. They will all be there. And of course, the featured speaker is our president. Now, this conference is called Climate Change. But if you go on their website, which I have, you will find that they are pushing global government. This is not a conspiracy. You have to hear it from their point of view. They believe they cannot control the environments of all the nations of the world without having some sort of centralized government and a power and authority to do so. They're also going to talk about a global economy, which China's been pushing. Well, you can understand why. Last week, she bought $220 billion worth of gold. Uh, she now owns the United States. And that's alarming because we, for years, thought it was Saudi Arabia. We used to think it was the Trilateral Commission. 
but they faded in the woodwork. Saudi Arabia is now the biggest foreign investor until China. And all this has happened within last year. From the president being inaugurated in January till now, we are now a debtor nation to China. And China's calling the shots. Their economy is expanding at a rapid rate, and uh, they are wanting a global government. Russia wants the same thing. Now India, who's always pushed that under Hinduism, they want a global government. So here you've got three major powers pushing for it, and guess what? Our new president believes a global government is what we uh, have need of. Now, one of the statements of our president just a little over a week ago bothered me greatly, and I'm going to tell you, if you don't like it, tough. Look it up yourself. Our president said he's willing to surrender the sovereignty of the United States to a world government. Now, listen, folks. Uh, Tim will agree with me. We used to preach this stuff as way out in the future. I mean, we all... We had an understanding of prophecy, a global government, global religion, global economy. You even mentioned the three-legged stool in your message. Listen, folks, this is not way out there. It is very possible at the conference in Copenhagen that they will, in fact, surrender their sovereignty to a centralized global government. That is the point of the conference. It goes from December 7th to December 18th. It will be in Copenhagen, Denmark. If it's not then, they'll get it done soon. The fact is, we're in trouble. We, most of us with gray hairs, most of us have lived in a country where we thank God for our national sovereignty. We were a government of the people and by the people and for the people. Well, that is sure a lost cause now. I, I wonder if we really know what's happening this is a government takeover. Not only the private sector, but over every one of our lives. It's not just socialism. It seems to me it's moving rapidly to Marxism. And you know, we're, we're sitting here, I see a lot of Christians playing games with this, acting like well, there's no big deal. <laughs> Am I worried about it? No, not really. Why? Because I know God is in control. So, but does that mean I'm going to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing? which they're counting on? No. We ought to obey God rather than man. I'm going to speak up and let it be known, which is what I'm doing now. I hope I can affect some of you so you go out of here with a damaged brain like I have. <laughs> he will rise to power in a confederacy. I think they're going to divide the world up into ten nations, and I'll tell you why I think so. This is now conjecture, okay? I don't know. What I do know is there will be a tenfold division of this world soon, and it will be a global government. In the midst of this will arise a little horn who will come to the ascendancy of at least three of them under his control. You remember the North American Union deal? By the way, that's not a dead horse. They're still working on it. That's the whole purpose behind NAFTA that was a kind of a failure. We got Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Because of the border situation in Mexico and uh, the, almost the total collapse of the Mexican government, uh, we have a problem putting it together. They're talking about a common currency, the Amero, which would uh, compete, they would hope, with the Euro. That won't happen now. Why? Because the Euro is now the dominant uh, force now that they've all agreed, signed the dotted line. 
I saw that in Israel just a week ago. Uh, the dollar is not, uh, they're not crying out to give a, give me your U.S. dollars and here's, I'll give you 20 bucks for 20 of those ones and all. Are you kidding? They want euros now. And uh, that's a part of why uh, Obama's in the Far East. Uh, he's discussing right now the importance of the yen. Wow. Somebody who listens to us on the internet just gave us 50,000 yen. I was so excited. I took it down to the bank. It was worth about $180. You understand what's happening? All over the world, we've got a serious devaluation of the dollar. The dollar's not going to be the standard anymore. They're talking about a brand new currency, and they want to discuss it at Copenhagen. The question is, who will monitor it? And the answer, the World Bank, of course. Do you understand what's happening? The International Monetary Fund will be back in control again. Wow. Well, what did they call United States, Canada, and Mexico? They called it Division One. Why? Because they've already divided the world up into ten divisions. They're just hoping they can slip it in on us this time. Because we made such a mess of the North American Union idea. They're still on it. But you understand, the idea that the Bible presents is not superstition or conspiracy talk. It's happening in our world at the present time. So this is what we learn about the little horn. Number two, the confidence he will display. That's very evident. This confidence he's going to display. Daniel 7 verse 20 says he has a mouth that spake very great things and whose look was more stout than his fellows. Wow. Number three, one of the most serious things here is the conflict he has with believers. We do know in Revelation he's also going to kill many of God's people. The Bible says he made war with the saints and prevailed against them. God allows it to happen. I believe the war's already started. And I think it's going to get worse. We already have Christians now in jail, a number of pastors, just for speaking the truth of God's Word. I'm anticipating going. I don't like Saturdays in prison, though. They serve you that white bread. I don't like white bread. White flour is bad for you. And they have runny peanut butter all over that. It's terrible. I've eaten with a prisoner. I don't know how they stand it. But then throughout the week, you really need to get into maximum security ward. They give them steaks. I mean, they're really good. Big, ah, yeah. I just want to prepare you for a possible prison sentence. But here's an interesting thing. By the way, Daniel 7.25 says he'll wear out the saints of the Most High. They're going to wear you down. Number four, the changes he will make. It says he will think to change times and laws. And I realized that we were being prepared for that kind of stuff by the presidential campaign as what was the word? The word. Change. That was the big deal. Wow. Number five, the consequence he's going to suffer, Daniel seven twenty six. He's going to lose his dominion and be consumed and destroyed. And number six, the kingdom is going to come that will replace him, praise God, 
the kingdom of the Messiah will destroy him. And there will be a world government, by the way, with our Messiah, our blessed Lord Yeshua, calling all the shots. He won't need a cabinet or an army. Amen. He who flung the worlds into existence in the first place, no problem. You don't like him? Zappo. We'll get somebody else. He's in charge. He'll be handling it all. Amen? And believers, who maybe didn't amount to much here, we're going to rule and reign with him. Amen? I want Washington, D.C. <laughs> Amen. Oh, do I ever want Washington, D.C. Okay, number three. He's the coming prince. Now we come to the issue of our time. On September 13th, 1993, we announced in every newspaper of the world the headlines. I still have it cut out. In giant block, black, block letters. Peace at last. And there was a picture of Bill Clinton between the late Yasser Arafat and the late Rabin. Shaking hands. Which he had to make him do. Peace at last. It's hardly been peace. Ten times during this process since 1993, they've asked us to give up more land. All these negotiations have never worked. Now, recently, as you probably know, in August, we had a meeting down at Sharm el-Sheik in the little resort down the Egyptian coast of the Gulf of Aqaba, and uh, Hillary was there. And uh, very interesting what happened there. Because at that conference, we had 2,000 Muslim leaders. And they voted not to have any peace with Israel at all. No matter what they come up with. Even if they give us all the land. They said their goal was the extermination of the Jewish people. And Hillary tried to soft soap it, but there were too many journalists there who knew exactly what was said. We don't listen to the enemy. We're going to make a mistake. Big mistake. We already have. Now, what about this coming prince? i give you three things. One, his connection with the people that destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. You got Daniel 9 in your hands. It tells us in chapter 9, in verse 26, that after three score and two weeks, literally after three score and two weeks and seven or 69, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, Rome did that. And right here is where we have a connection with the Roman Empire. So a lot of prophecy teachers believe that is the scenario of the ten-nation confederacy. But actually, the Roman Empire was the last world empire we had. We haven't had one since then. Uh, Revelation says in John's day, there were five that had fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is in John's day, which was Rome. And one is yet to come, which would be a ten-nation confederacy out of which will come the Antichrist. And remember, this is his program, his covenant to restore Jewish temple worship and sacrifices. I don't know if you know or not, but Bill Clinton is a major play player in international politics. 
People always ask me all the time, well, Liz, aren't we done with him? He can't run for president. Are you kidding? 32nd degree Mason, member of the Council of Foreign Relations, the darling of the world. Even when Shimon Perez, the president of Israel, had his 80th birthday party, the guest of honor was Bill Clinton playing his uh, saxophone. The world loves Bill Clinton, they still do. He doesn't have any office, but he's invited to all the major international meetings. He'll be there also in Copenhagen. It is Bill Clinton that has the Global Peace Initiative. He has it at the end of every United Nations Assembly meeting. That way he doesn't have to pay transportation costs. They're already in New York. And it was at the Global Peace Initiative where Bill Clinton said, the number one hindrance to world peace are Bible-believing Christians who are pro-Israel. He got a standing ovation for about 10 minutes on that one. If you don't think the world is against us, you really have your head in the sand. Bill is the one who is pushing to put a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. That's why they call it the Clintonian Plan. He wants to build a wall on the north side of the Dome of the Rock. Let the Jews cleanse that north side, which they'll have to do before they build. Build a temple. A lot of them say that little building called the Dome of the Spirits is sitting over the original Holy of Holies anyway. So he says, let's build, let them build that temple on the north side with a wall in between, and we'll have United Nations troops monitor it. I have seen United Nations troops all over the world, both in Africa and the Middle East. They never do anything. They wear cute little light blue berets. I watched them. The border of Lebanon, they're supposed to stop the shipment of weapons. They didn't do anything. They just let them cross in. Wow. But look at this. Number three is his corruption. This coming prince, it says, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Now, I was teaching a bunch of junior high kids once, and I said, what's the meaning of abomination? Little junior high kid raised his hand. He said, I don't know, but it sure sounds bad. <laughs> abomination is one of two things, idolatry or sexual immorality. Now, this says the overspreading of it. In other words, we're going to see a massive, a massive idolatrous and immoral society. We're already on the road, and it's coming. Now, number four, put it up there. He's also called the willful king. Turn to Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel 11, verse 36 to 39, we read this. And the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every god. This is what's quoted in 2 Thessalonians 2. And shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. Shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers. Some people think that means he's Jewish. No. According to Revelation, he comes out of the nations, which means he would be a Gentile. For the, he's also not regarding the desire of women. Some people say he's a homosexual. It's also possible we're talking about the sexual abuse of women. 
He won't regard any God. He's atheistic. He shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate, he will honor the God of forces, military might. A God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold, silver, precious stones, and pleasant things. Military budget's going to get really heavy. Then shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. He shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. Wow. What do we learn about him? First, his arrogance. Put it up there. His arrogance. He will exalt himself, magnify himself above every God. Speak marvelous things against God. Number two, his atheism. He's fooling everybody. They think he's religious to start with. But he will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. He'll magnify himself above all. Number three, his allegiance to military power. He will honor the God of forces and pay big money to make sure it exists. And number four, his action of dividing the land is a key for believers to know who he is during the tribulation. Don't trust this guy that's rising to power, offering a peace agreement with Israel, because the fact is he's going to divide the land. Number five, he is the Antichrist. There are many Antichrists in the world, says John. That's true. Anti in English means against, not in Greek. Anti in Greek is the preposition in the stead of. What we have here is a counterfeit Messiah. Remember, our Lord warned us about this. This guy is a counterfeit Messiah. 1 John 2, also in 1 John 4, and also in 2 John 7, it speaks of him. And we learn three things about this coming leader by calling him Antichrist. First, he will deny that Yeshua is the Messiah. He's going to boldface deny it. Number two, he's going to declare that Yeshua is not God in the flesh. He's got to deal with all these believers. Number three, he will deceive by his words about the true identity of Messiah. Yes, it is obvious he is anti in the stead of Messiah. It's unbelievable what's going to happen. But the sixth and final designation, he's the beast of Revelation 13 and 17, as well as 19, which declares his final end. Now, in the opening of Revelation, do you remember the scene in heaven? There are four beasts around the throne singing, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. That word for beast is our Greek word for a living creature. According to the book of Ezekiel, they are cherubim angels, and they are the worship leaders of heaven. And there's one on each side of the throne of God the Father and the Son. And whatever they do, the rest of heaven responds to it. But when you come to chapter 13 and read about this beast, the word is changed. It is not living creature. It is an untamed, wild, ferocious, violent beast. That's this coming leader. One 
According to the Bible, the dragon gives him power, which is what we learned in 2 Thessalonians 2. His power will come from Satan. The dragon will give him his power. Number two, the declarations he makes are filled with blasphemy. Interesting, in chapter 13, he will blaspheme those in heaven. Wow. Did you ever think that it might be all the Christians that vanished before the tribulation started? So he's blaspheming all of the believers who are gone. I, I figure this with the movies Hollywood's produced, he'll probably say some people from another planet came and took them all away. And good riddance, they were the real problems. I don't know, what's your theory? I just want to be out of here. I had a man after I preached on the rapture, he came up and he said, all you believe is an escapism theology. I thought about it. I said, right on, brother. I don't want to stay around here. I want to get out of here. Why do you want to stay around? What's the matter with you? Number three, the death of believers he will cause. Revelation 13, verse 7, and also verse 15, the false prophet will help. Anyone who does not worship him will be killed. That will explain to you how in Revelation 20, we have the resurrection at the end of the tribulation of the martyrs of the tribulation, and they're going to be beheaded. Eventually, we've got to come to grips with Muslim teaching. And number four, the devotion he receives is from unbelievers, according to the Bible in chapter 13, verse 8. And the whole world is going to worship him. Finally, we have a leader who can answer all the problems of the world. But guess who's coming to dinner? Number five, the defeat he will experience will come when he tries to make war with the Lamb of God. I love the fact that Revelation not only calls our blessed Lord the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but it calls him a Lamb 26 times. Now, I don't know. I've seen the lambs, those fluffy little sweet things. This has got to be an attack lamb. <laughs> the Bible teaches that he's making a big mistake to think he can take on the true Messiah, the Son of God. And he and the false prophet will not only be conquered, but be cast into hell forever. Which means, brings me to the sixth and final point. His final destiny is the lake of fire. Now I know there are people all over the place in the Christian world who do not believe that hell is a lake of fire. And they'll say, well, it's only a symbol. I, I just want to help you with a few things, grammatically. If hell is only a symbol, then God only knows how awful it is. Why? A symbol is less an intensity of that which it represents. So if it's not that, only God knows how awful it is. Number two, we also know that Jesus told us there's unquenchable fire. It never goes out. He also told us that the person will not die. He also tells us that people are going to be tormented 
day and night, forever and ever. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Insanity will rule. My dear friends, if there's one thing is in the heart of both Tim LaHaye and myself, is we don't want any, anyone here going to hell. But if you think hell is not real, you have not read Jesus. You're calling him a liar. He warned people to flee the wrath of God to come. He spoke about hell quite frequently. He even gave stories of people who went there, who were tormented there. This is awful. After a thousand years of reigning on earth, the Lord is going to set up what's called the great white throne judgment. And all unbelievers will be resurrected to stand before our Lord Yeshua. Yes, he is the judge. For the Father has committed all judgment into the Son, according to John 5. Imagine facing Jesus as the judge, and you're an unbeliever. According to the Bible, the books will be opened, the works of people. So conclusively, the Lord Yeshua will prove to you you deserve hell. But there's one book that is so crucial to the whole argument. It's called the Book of Life. The Bible says whoever was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. Uh, I told you earlier when I first started this series that I had bought a new book of sermons from 1799. That was just 24 years after our Declaration of Independence. It was just a few days after the Constitutional Convention. I just want you to know that Jonathan Edwards preached a message sitting down because of his bad health called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was about hell. I remember one day trying to figure out about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness. And I was on a trip with a bunch of guys going to college, and we stopped at Carlsbad Caverns. Some of you have been there. And you go down to that place and that platform where they have what they call a chapel. You can sit there, hear a lecture about it. And then one thing they usually do, they ask you, how many of you know what it's like to be in total darkness? And, you know, you're sort of skeptical. Yeah, what's the pitch here? And he tells you that he's going to turn the lights out in Carl, Carlsbad Caverns. And we won't keep them off long because you won't be able to handle it. When the lights went off, we could see nothing. Couldn't see your hand moving in front of your face. People were on the stones crawling. Several people started crying, and some were screaming, and the lights came back on. And the guy told us, he said, if you were in this for seven days, you would be totally insane. I never forgot that day. God planted in my head, that's what hell's like, outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The fire is not quenched. 
the worm dies not. You know, I, I just, you know, you've heard me enough this week to know that I'm trying to shoot straight with people about a lot of stuff. But there's one thing I want you really to understand. Hell is real. It's real. And we don't want you to go there. I don't, I don't know what kind of Christian you are. I've, I've learned the hard way that just because you call yourself one doesn't mean you are one. And we often are at home in our marriages and families, something we are not out in public. Uh, but you're not fooling God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. And I just beg you in the name of the Lord, flee the wrath of God to come. That was the message of Jesus. We don't want you to go to hell. We want you to have everlasting life and to be with the Lord in a place that he's prepared for you. Amen? Amen. Will you join me, please, in prayer? Thank you for your patience. Father, all that you said about a coming leader who's a deceiver from the word go makes us realize how many people in this world it could be. There are a lot of people who speak eloquently, who talk about changing things, and the change turns out not to be for the better. There are lots of people in this world who are trying to get all religious belief, and especially Christian belief, the Bible, prayer, all of it, you get it out of the public sector. It could be anyone. We don't know who it is, and from your Bible, it seems like he's not going to be revealed until after the rapture, our gathering together unto him. Lord, I, I just want people to go to heaven with us, and it breaks our heart to think there'd be folks here hearing this who have never, never settled their relationship with you and are bound for hell, not heaven. God, I pray by your Spirit right now you would work upon their hearts and that they would cry out to God before it's too late. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, please don't look around. Maintain privacy for everybody in this moment. I will, I will not embarrass you. I will not call on your name. But I want to give you the opportunity to turn to the Lord before it's too late. Right where you are that no one knows on either side of you what you're doing, you do, God does. Right where you are, I'm asking you to raise your hand up to God in the same time in your heart. Say, God, please help me. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Sir, the back over here. Yes, lady. We're not messing around with you. We need to know the truth. Hell is real, and so is heaven and everlasting life. And whoever calls in the name of the Lord can be saved. Right where you are, in your heart, say, God, please have mercy upon me. Please, Lord, forgive me. Father, I thank you for these who have raised their hands and 
Lord, I pray that they'll find moments alone with their Bibles that they can grasp how serious this is and to make a full commitment of their life and future to you. You're the only one who can save us. I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful salvation, your grace that gives us what we don't deserve, your mercy that holds back from us what we really do deserve. You are wonderful, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for this conference. Play your blessing on the services tomorrow. To your honor and your glory, in our Lord Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.